Hello and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. See, these prophets couldn't get that God would use bad for good and that he especially would use the Babylonians. I mean, these people were horrible. There was a time when the Jews were exiled to a foreign land and they didn't like it. God told them, though, to settle in and be a blessing in their new surrounds. They were foreigners in a strange land and there are some interesting things that we can learn from their experience. Dr. Corbett's advice tonight, bless your city. So this is Jeremiah, the prophet who wept. So we're now into the third section of the six sections of the book of Jeremiah. And there's there's a definite gear change from chapter 29. And this section is called Jeremiah's Covenant. And we'll be dealing with that in uh, in upcoming messages. But Jeremiah is increasingly going to be reflecting the new covenant. In fact, one of the most outstanding things about this section that we're about to look at is is, is that if you get the Old Testament, the Old Testament is what's called a shadow. So all of those things in the Old Testament are a a faint shadow of what the new covenant was really all about. And we kind of see that in the laws of the old covenant as well. You know, Jesus made this clear when, when he said, the old covenant says, do not murder. But I say unto you, do not even get angry. Wow. Which one's the shadow and which one's the reality, you see? And so the old covenant was a faint shadow of the ultimate reality. And so we see principles of deep kindness come out in the Old Testament that the New Testament says that's not where we end up, that's where we start. And the New Testament, Jesus said, don't just not hurt someone, bless your enemy. That's gospel. And if you love that, you're going to love the rest of this message. I can tell you, I can feel the love right now. This is awesome. So let's, we'll have a look at this passage, the first seven verses. And this is called Bless Your City. Bless Your City. And I hope that by the end of it, you get the idea that if you are a Christian, you are somebody whose life is now being defined by the gospel. And the gospel isn't just Jesus Christ died for your sins. The gospel is Jesus Christ died for your sins. And this is where we begin. And your life is going to have huge ramifications, eternal consequences. You have a destiny. You are not on this planet by some sheer haphazard random chance. You are here for a purpose. And the gospel now defines your life. So I hope you get this. Bless your city. So we're in Jeremiah 29 verse 1. We're kind of going to skip through these seven verses. Then we're going to come back and just draw some points out of them. So let's Let's go. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exile. Hmm, interesting. Not many, not all of them made it. And to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, remember, we've already seen these are called the good figs. These were the figs that were the first group to be taken away out of Jerusalem. And those that remained in Jerusalem, you remember, said, oh, well, God's obviously getting rid of the dead wood. God's getting rid of the bad figs. And this is where the prophet Jeremiah comes in and goes, "Uh uh-uh, you got it completely around the wrong way. God has taken his righteous, his chosen, his remnant. And this included people like Ezekiel, Daniel. It included the, the lineage of 
Ezra and Nehemiah that were taken away into Babylon. These were good people and not all of them survived. So even the journey was a tough one. We come to verse 2. This was after King Jeconiah and the Queen Mother, the eunuchs and the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. So Nebuchadnezzar took their beloved king because I guess if you leave a beloved king, he could at least assemble an army and mount an insurrection. So he made sure that the military leaders and the leaders from the different parts of the Jerusalem community were taken into Babylon. We come to verse 3. This letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It says, this is the letter God has had Jeremiah write to the surviving exiles. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Wow, man, I get a chill when I read that because this is a military term. Lord of hosts means the one who rules heaven's armies. And so we're talking about a potential military conflict and he's addressing it like that. Don't let that be lost on you. The God of Israel, (laughs) not Babylon, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent. We're going to come back to that in a minute, but I want you to notice that. Whom I have sent. They were saying this was an attack of the enemy. This was, this was the enemy derailing God's plan. But notice what God says. No, I've sent you there in, uh, into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 5, this is what he says. And this is shocking. This is shocking. This is what he says. Build houses. Live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Now, why is this shocking? Because you remember that he's just had an encounter with a false prophet Hananiah who said this this exile this this taking of people from Jerusalem into Babylon it's not going to last in a few months no more than two years it'll be over and they'll all be back and the prophet Jeremiah as this guy Jack, uh, uh, Hilkiah has said this uh, Hananiah sorry has said this says to him thus says the Lord you are a false prophet and within two months you will be dead This guy, Hananiah, died very soon after Jeremiah said this. And and because it was done in the king's court and everyone heard Jeremiah say it, suddenly Jeremiah's credibility went up a notch or two, as you would expect. This is why I say Jeremiah is one of the most most faith-strengthening prophets around because not it wasn't just that his prophecies came to pass hundreds of years later and he died with with his audience not believing him his audience believed him within days within weeks and it's recorded in scripture that's why i can't be an atheist i can't be just jeremiah makes it impossible for me to be an atheist he's speaking on behalf of god it's recorded historically that what he said and here we have him giving this counter message because all the false prophets were saying, we have the temple of the Lord, Jerusalem is the city of God, God would never send his people out of his city to a foreign place. And we have Jeremiah saying, you've gone and you probably most likely won't be back. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. You're going to be there for, and he gives a precise number of years, 70 years, you'll be there. So that's, let's go, verse 6. 
Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. There's a great word for us as a church. We are to multiply to the glory of God. We are to be a blessing to our city and we are to multiply. So we come to verse 7. Get this. But seek the welfare of the city. What's the city? The city is Babylon. What's modern Babylon today? Baghdad. Now, I tell you, you want to you upset some people, if you're that kind of stirring nature, of which there are a few in this church, let me tell you. The next time somebody says, well, the scripture says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, just throw in Jeremiah 29, 7 and pray for the prosperity of Iraq. <coughs> You're looking at me like, now where did you get that from? Well, we haven't finished verse 7, have we? So that's probably why you're wondering. But seek the welfare of this city, Baghdad, Iraq, where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf and uh, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. This is an amazing principle because Jesus said, do good to those that despitefully treat you. Here's Jeremiah taking that New Testament concept and retro-rocketing it out of the galaxy. This is Babylon. This is their enemies. But I'm jumping ahead and changing octaves. Let me come back down to a more manly tone and let's see if we can go back to verse 1. If you're having a look at verse 1, it says, These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent to the surviving elders of the exiles. So, so there were many righteous Jews who were foreigners in, now in a strange land. Babylon, we, we read Daniel, and part of the Jeremiah series will be a section on Daniel, which we'll be dealing with. And we read in Daniel that the food was strange, the drink was strange, the language was different, the customs were different. The, the culture was different. The art was different. Everything was different. And none of them liked it. But Daniel read this. He read that letter. He heard that letter. I could almost guarantee Daniel probably had a copy of this letter from Jeremiah. So he knew this. So think about Daniel because I look at Daniel as one of the greatest men that have ever lived. Yes, there's Jesus. Put him in a category of his own. Next, I think there's Daniel. And this guy, Daniel, was in a foreign city, foreign language, foreign food, foreign customs, foreign religion. Everything was foreign. They didn't share his morality. And he gets this from Jeremiah. So what does Daniel do? He makes a commitment within himself that says, OK, I'm here to stay. I don't like it, but I'm going to plant myself here. I'm going to plant myself here. I'm going to work to the prosperity of Babylon. I'm going to seek the welfare of Babylon. I'm going to pray that God blesses Babylon. I'm going to share the love of God with all who I can in Babylon. And eventually that led to the emperor Nebuchadnezzar giving his life to God because of the witness of Daniel. Because Daniel took this seriously. So notice this. Some of these righteous Jews were foreigners in a strange land. Now get this, all Christians, all Christians are foreigners in a strange land. You know, the earth is not our home. We don't belong here. We, we live among a people that speak a different language. We live among a people that have different values. 
We live among political leaders that say we are stupid because we believe in God, which is a stupid thing to say, ironically. We live in a society that doesn't share what we hold dear and precious and they mock sacred things. This is hard. And I know that there are Christians down through the ages. And if we look at history of Christians, they said, oh, this is all just too hard. Let's build really high walls, brick it up, put some really big wooden gates there and call it a monastery and we'll be okay. Or as some of them did, and I could have shown you pictures of this, they built great big poles, put a little deck on the top of the pole and spent the rest of their life there. They were called pole sitters. It is true. Thank you. Amen. These are people who said, we want nothing to do with the world. We don't want to dress like the world. We don't want to eat the world's food. We don't want to drink the world's drink. We don't want to participate in the world's entertainment or culture. We're going to sit on top of a pole for 60 years. Some of them went and lived in caves because the world was so evil and hard. And Jeremiah is giving the most New Testament message you'll probably get anywhere in the Bible. You don't belong to this world, but seek its welfare. Bless it. Pray for it to prosper, some of the translations have. All of us Christians are strangers in a foreign land. This is how Hebrews 11 describes these Old Testament saints. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. So they're looking for the promise that Jeremiah was talking about, the promise of the covenant, which is in Christ, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles, not in Babylon, but on the earth itself. Guys, this is not our home. We're just passing through. I mean, enjoy the journey. But this ain't it. We have an eternal home not made with hands awaiting us. Jesus said this. He said, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. John 15, 17, verse 15 and 16. This is what Jesus prayed. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Keep them from the evil one. Don't take them out of the world. Keep them in there rubbing shoulders with people who use blankety blank language. Who, who use exclamation marks and at signs in the way they talk. And keep them there with those people. So Jesus came into the world and he was never a part of this world. And he says, if you're mine, you're not a part of this world either. So notice this. I, I, I stopped and paused on that expression, I have sent you. That's not how they felt. You can imagine doing the journey and there's people dying of heat exhaustion on the way. They think, oh man, we are under attack. Only to find out, no, I did that, says the Lord. I sent you. Isn't this one of the hardest lessons in life to learn? That the hardest lessons of life are often lessons that God is putting us through? Have you had any hardship through your life? And do you think God may have had a, had a plan for that to shape who you've become? Ask a, ask a believer who's walked with the Lord for a while, who's over 60, and see what their answer is. Because I, I'm going to preempt it. I'm going to say, they're going to say, you know, at the time, it, it wasn't easy. It wasn't nice. It wasn't pleasant. But I wouldn't change a thing now. 
because it made me the person I am today. And I thank God. I have sent you. What looked bad was ordained by God for good. And here they are, these people sent to Babylon. Babylon! This is the problem that Habakkuk had. The book of Habakkuk is all about God speaking through Habakkuk about the same time as Jeremiah. And Habakkuk, he's in a different part of Israel and he's saying, thus says the Lord, you're going to be sent into the Babylonians are going to come. And, they're going to, and Habakkuk realizes the Babylonians are going to come and teach us a lesson. Why, they're more pagan than anyone on the planet. You see, these prophets couldn't get that God would use evil for good, that God would use bad for good, and that he especially would use the Babylonians. I mean, these people were horrible. So when the prophet Jeremiah says, you are to be a blessing to Babylon, you can almost hear the outrage. We are to be a what? You want us to bless them after what they've done to us? Why, do, why should we be a blessing to our city? Why? You can imagine these exiles going, Daniel, you don't know what they've done. They speared my grandfather who didn't have the strength to make it. They just threw him off the side of the road, Daniel. And you're telling me to be a blessing to them? You've got no idea. You can imagine that kind of reaction. This gospel is not, a, it's not an easy message. You want to be a Christian, you, you, you can't be faint-hearted. It takes tremendous courage to follow Christ. If you're serious about it. I mean, sure, if you want to be a weak-kneed, snotty-nosed, decaf, soy latte drinking Christian, you can, you can do that easy. But if you want to be fair dinkum, this is, this is serious stuff. Serious stuff. So as believers, we're called to be a blessing. Why? Because we're called not just to bless our city, we're called to love our city. This state is a beautiful state. It is be- it's not hard to love our city. It's not hard to love our capital city, Hobart. It's not hard to love this. So in one sense, you're going to hear this and go, yeah, we can bless our city. We'd love to bless our city. Yeah, we can love our city. We'd love to love our city. Now, kind of put yourself in the position of these captives, these Jews in captivity in Babylon. This wouldn't have been any of that for them. This would have been really hard. So now maybe we can crank it up a level. So here's the question. Seek the welfare of this city, Jeremiah said. And other translations have, seek the prosperity of this city. And so here's the question I have for us. Let's, let's bring an application to this. What does our city need to prosper? What does our city need to prosper? Here's some ideas. I think our city needs jobs. Man, I walk around our city now and I see empty shops everywhere. This is like grieving now, I'm not saying shops are the hallmark of a city's prosperity or not, but the, every closed shop probably means there's somebody who hasn't got a job now. I think our city needs jobs. I think our city needs low crime rates. I think our city needs a, a clean environment. I, I think our city needs good education. We need our kids to be really highly educated. We need people who are in industry to do really, really well, to make stuff. And the way that's going to happen is to have a really good free market. We need well-maintained infrastructure. So we also need a very effective healthcare system. We need community harmony. We need people of different races to get along well. We need people of different social standing to get along well. We need social harmony, community harmony. We need everybody to have an adequate house. We want adequate housing for everybody. 
We want loving and peaceful homes, because I think a house is different to a home. This is how our city could prosper and be in good welfare. We need protection for the vulnerable. We need appropriate government regulation, not too much of it. Oh, I'm feeling the love. We need safe workplaces. We need an innovative arts and entertainment sector. All these things are an indication of how well a society is prospering. Now, here's, here's a claim. I want you to think about every one of those things that I think, and maybe you could add to that list if you can, let me know what, what you think we need as a society to prosper and for our city to be in really good welfare. But every one of these, I'm going to put it out there, they actually start, not with the economics, they actually start with good moral virtue and values. They actually start with how you regard life and how you regard the value of people. And there's no other way to get that kind of thing grounded than to be a God-fearing, Christ-saved, gospel-bearing believer. In other words, the, real, the only way our city can get to that is if we present the gospel to our city and our city accepts the gospel rather than rejects the gospel. Now you might think, that's an audacious claim. Oh, I guess it is, but I'm not the one making it. In fact, the one making it is Professor Niall Ferguson, Professor of History at Harvard University. And he's an atheist. And he says the only way a society can really prosper is when it embraces the Christian gospel. Professor of History, Harvard University, atheist, says that. I think he might be right. I think God's word says, as you seek the welfare of the city, you will be guarding your own welfare. So here's my question to you. What gifts has God given you to help our city to prosper? What can you do to prosper our city? What can you do to help our city to be a nice place to live? What can you do? Well, one of the things Jeremiah called them to do was to seek for their welfare, and it says, pray to the Lord on their behalf, verse 7. So here's something we can do. Pray. Commitment question. Will you pray for our city to prosper? Notice that the principle of the gospel is that we seek to bless before we seek blessing. Jesus didn't come to be blessed. He didn't come to be served, he said. And whenever he says things like that, he's giving us a clue. This is how I want you to live. The gospel calls us to be a blessing before we seek blessing. Bless our city. These exiles were asked to be a blessing to a city that was their enemy. So I want you to think about this principle. Let's bring this to a close. So let's bring an application that many of you won't like. May not be an exile living in your enemy's city, but you may be in a job you don't like. How do you feel towards your boss, your employer, your workplace? Seek their welfare, seek their blessing. Let that question dwell. And that that expression that Jeremiah opens up with in, in his letter, I have sent you. 
as we bring this to a close, I want you to consider that your life has had ups and downs. Your life has had journey markers that have not been pleasant, have not been kind, have, have caught you off guard, have things have happened to you. you, you some of you know that, you, that there have been times when you should have been dead, but by the, literally by the grace of God you've been preserved and you're wondering why. And if you get this, that God has ordained your life for his glorious purpose, whatever you are doing in life, whether it be serving at a checkout, putting petrol in someone's car, whether it be mowing someone's lawn, whether it be painting someone's house, whether it be building a house, whether it be teaching children, whether it be looking after preschoolers, whether it be lecturing, whether it be selling, whatever it is, you are doing it to the glory of God. You're not doing it for yourself. Well, I'm doing it to build my career. Then you don't get the gospel, believer. You don't get it. When you get the gospel, you realize I'm selling to the glory of God. Do you know, we, we as a family sponsor children uh, in third world. We can barely afford to sponsor our own children. But if I had... <laughs> You know, every time I go and sell some of my books, I say, this goes to feed poor, starving Christian children. <laughs> my own. Um, <laughs> but you know, if I was more, I could sponsor more children. If I was more successful, if you were more successful, you could be an even bigger blessing. Some of you are called to be a blessing. And you hear you going, well, I would be if I was blessed more. Be a blessing with what you've got. Be a blessing. See that God has ordained your life for his glorious purpose. You might not think it's much, but in his hands, it's wonderful and great. And here's a prayer, a prayer of surrender. A prayer that says this, as we pray this, it's it's this. God, please forgive me of my sins. Come and live in me and help me to live for you. I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross in my place. I want him to be Lord and Savior of my life. Teach me what I need to know and help me to share with others what I now know. Father, we want to be a blessing. We want to be a blessing to our city. We want from this church for you to raise up employers, inventors, entrepreneurs, artists, politicians, civic leaders, people who can be great sportsmen, people who can bless our city, people who can be a blessing to our city, lift the hearts, lift the minds, lift the soul, lift the spirit, people who can lead an integrity revolution, people who can weed out corruption in our society, in all its sectors, and be a people who embody the gospel of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Are you a foreigner in a strange land? Perhaps in a job you don't want to be in? You could act on the gospel principle of seeking to bless before you seek blessings. worth considering. Dr. Corbett continues next week in Jeremiah with Tell Them They're Dreaming. 
podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Bless Your City, are available via the website, findingtruthmatters.org, or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For regular updates and special offers, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.